Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hello, welcome, Buki, to this edition of African Family Firms, the future of African family business. Um, we'll head, hand over to you to give your presentation. Okay, thank you, Nikke. Hello, my name is Buki Adewolu. Um, I am an accountant by training, and I'm here today to just share my experience on second-generation family businesses and how to build capacity um in my what okay so i've said i'm an accountant by training but i'll give a little bit of background as to why i'm so passionate about you know second generation and moving them forward and building capacity um growing up in lagos i was kind of mandated to do a gap year um once when well for about 18 months when the universities were um, not commissioned so during the 18 months I used to go to the family business at that point in time I thought you know my family were just trying to keep me up out of trouble and off the streets but as time went on and reflecting back I learned I realized that a lot of what I did back then in those 18 months, a lot of the skills I acquired unconsciously really helped shape my future and have all helped in bringing me up to this point in time, supporting second-generation family businesses. So I'll now tell you about myself as an accountant and what I do. Um, After university, I... My first job was with one of the big four firms in the UK. And the very first department I was assigned to was called OMB, Owner Managed Businesses. I was in the audit department, so we would go out to see clients who were actually fairly big organizations, but being run and managed by the owners, the founders. What struck me back then was, you know, this is about 20 years ago, was that these were firms not, not um, dissimilar to my own family business, but they, they were a lot more structured than I had come across. You know, first of all, they, they were big enough to, to hire, you know, the big four, which we all know could be a bit pricey. They were very dedicated. They had several members of the family working in those businesses. And just the level of structure, the level of commitment, it, it was interesting. So I, I moved on from there. You know, I worked across many sectors, many industries. And then I left professional practice and went to work in industry. I worked for another decade in two organizations that were both listed companies, PLCs, multinationals. And what struck me again was that these were companies that had grown. I mean, one of them was BP, 
And the history, when you join BP, you know, you go on a course where they tell you about BP, you know, the history. And again, what I realized was it was started by someone who had a dream, who invested, put in the work and moved it from being just a one-man and owner-managed business into a multinational. And that was, it was interesting, obviously, over the course of, my career, I, I kept learning, you know, working in a structured business organization environment. It showed me, it taught me what it was to, to run a business, run an organization and distinguish it from just the OMBs that I had been used to back when I was interning the family business. Um, fast forward a few years. I was unexpectedly, I found myself unexpectedly um, having to run one of the family businesses. It was a firm of chartered accountants. And, you know, as luck would have it, it was something I had a plan, but I was actually, uh, I had, uh, that was my career. I was a trained accountant, a trained auditor. So I took over the reins of the family business, the firm of chartered accountants. There were staff who needed, um, who were in there, you know, there were clients to submit, to, to attend to. And it was, it, it was, it was a steep learning curve, but it was easy. It, it was easier for me because by virtue of having worked in the family business two decades earlier, Having walked around, having seen what it is to run um, the business, I was able to adapt quickly and grow the business. And one of the lines of business, one of the offerings, service offerings we now run is business advisory. In this line of service, my father, Fem and I, we cater to a lot of um, clients in various industries who are now being managed by the second generation. And what it is, is we are learning, they, we are working with this client to ensure that the businesses they've inherited in many instances, like myself, um, are thriving businesses, are well-structured, have the proper procedures, policies in place, corporate governance measures to ensure that they don't they grow these businesses beyond even their second generation, but more importantly, they don't fall into the same um they don't experience the same challenges that the first generation experienced running those businesses. So I guess um what I would like to now speak on is my my learnings to date and my advice on anyone who's found themselves in this situation where they've taken over the reins of a family business and how to build it, how to build capacity. Um, as I said, we represent clients in many in varied industries. We've got aviation, we've got pharmaceuticals, we've got hospitality, we've got education, we've got construction. Interestingly, and I'm very happy, at least 90% of our client base is run by is, uh, women, women-owned businesses. 
So we are working with these ladies to ensure that, you know, first of all, they, they, um, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? They embrace, let's start with that, they embrace professional uh, corporate governance. We are sure, we try to educate them that, you know, at this point in time, if you want to build a sustainable business, it's best to have not only a board of directors, but to engage professionals. Always have a lawyer on call, always have an accountant, have a business, um, if, if you can, have a tax advisor, you know, have an advisory board that you can bounce ideas off. So that's where finding is, is information, which it seems really basic, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not known. A lot, a lot of people still think they can um, run the business how their parents used to run it, and it will, it will, um, it will be sustainable. Um, what I tell my clients is that every business has a life cycle and we need to ensure that it is managed in such a way that come what may, you know, we live in an environment where the government policies often come unannounced and one is not prepared, that one has to build a sustainable business. Another thing that we have seen or that we would recommend to family businesses is that if anyone who comes who intends or who will find themselves in a position of responsibility, we advise that you know learning is 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 key. Some business owners, you know, bring in their family members, their children straight out of university and wants them to learn on the job which is fine because it's only by doing by working in the organization and having different functions will you have a fair a better understanding of the business but what we also recommend is that in addition to learning on the job you know business owners should look for courses look for owner manager business or you know, attend courses, finance for non-finance managers is one that we run. It's quite popular and the feedback from the business owners is always like, oh, you know, they wish they had known this sooner. They probably would have, wouldn't have taken out the loan at the point at which they did, the facility. You know, it's, it's, it's very, so the learning is a key one that I would recommend that every family any business owner, whether family or not, really should make sure they keep up. They they keep up with learn, learn, learn. Um, build on the networks. Social capital cannot be um, overflowed, especially in in the region where we are operating. You know, it's not just about financial capital for the business, but we find out that. Networking and speaking to people in the same industry, you know, people often face the same challenges. There's no point trying to run a business and not even know who the competition is and look for ways to collaborate with competition. I think um, this is one of the pitfalls that some business owners have had in the past where they've wanted to 
just focus on their business and you know not not uh, not befriend the competition but it's it's always easier when there's a network because the challenges being faced by one person chances are someone else is facing that and together if there's a network then they can you know uh, find out how to address it if they need to if business owners need to go to their regulators it's always easier to go as a as a body as an organization as an industry network what i would also say is that you know it's not always just about the 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 profit of the business that's another thing we are also trying to encourage our clients you know whilst building the business building capacity one also has to look around and give back as it were that's the popular that's the phrase that everyone knows giving back giving back can be in many forms it can be hiring interns who are completing the mandatory one year service it could be you know uh, not just not just fixing the roads or fixing the roundabouts near their offices or actually having social and environmental um 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 uh, uh, projects that they can do that also helps again it all comes back to building social capital um are there any questions for me Nikki? i realize i'm rambling on um this is leading with Q, starting the q a okay Thank you, Buffy. Um, I hadn't realized that you had finished. Um, you seem to be mid stride there. No, I, I just, you know, I wasn't sure if you you still here. It was very quiet, and that's why. Yeah. So, um, also, whilst building, whilst building a family business, it's also important to, at some point in time, sit back and have family meetings, which a lot of them, we're finding out in experience that a lot of, a lot of um, policies or the strategic direction in which some of the owners of these businesses are taking the businesses or the companies, often at some point in time when we sit down to have board meetings, the other family members are now coming to say, "Oh, we do not agree. We do not believe this is ethos. This is the this is something our family buys into." Um, so uh, that's another core challenge. That for those who are running family businesses, to call in a board meeting or family meeting and agree on the strategic direction of the businesses. Whilst we're on this topic, and something we've also realized is a lot of people, a lot of business owners who've inherited their businesses often don't look or don't check to see what the legal um, articles, what the articles and memorandum of the entities they are operating on the state. So we've had situations where They've tried to apply somewhere, and then the regulators have come in to say, technically, actually, based on what you have put together, you have 
you have overstretched and gone outside your remits. Your remits. So uh, this also goes back to, as I said earlier, business owners attending um, courses so that they understand the differences between what we would like to do and what we are legally allowed to do. I've also stressed upon the importance of having professional advisors, having lawyers who can draft agreements, review agreements, make sure that they are in compliance, the business is in compliance with the laws and regulations of the country, of the region they are operating in. It sounds really simple and really obvious, but more often than not, a lot of businesses have been cut out through an expansion. Because I'm an accountant, I cannot but I have to mention bookkeeping, records keeping, you know, um, taxes. These days, the way and which, which technology is going and a lot of people are taking more of their businesses online, we are a lot of businesses are being surprised by the various taxes and tax regimes that they are now operating under. You know, someone, a client was exporting, exporting some of their products and then assumed because they were in the medical space, they were exempted from all taxes, which is not the case. So again, proper understanding of the region, getting financial professional advice is always necessary. And then at, uh, it now gets to the stage of, we're now getting to the stage of even these second generation business owners are now beginning to think about the future and who to, who to hand over the business to or who to work with because a lot of the founders of the business would have hired staff or have staff that the business, the owner, the current owners have inherited who are now aging and need to be replaced. So human resources is another challenge that um, we have seen that a lot of business owners are now beginning to struggle with. Again, it all goes back to, as we say, having strategic direction. What do we want the business to? What does the owner want the business to to do? Where do they? What is their vision? What kind of staffing levels? What kind of requirements? What experience? These are the things that second generation business owners need to take into account. Need to sit down and properly think about. You know, so for some of them who have been um, exposed and who have worked in different industries before coming to take the family businesses, have a better, clearer understanding of the importance of hiring the right staff for the right roles. Um, some business owners are learning as they go along. As I said earlier, learning is an everyday, it's something that never stops. So it's finding the people, finding people who right people to take over the business is something that should not be overlooked. Um, if they've inherited a business with staff, 
it is while staff retention is critical, you know, the hiring and replacement hiring is also very important and should not be overlooked. You know, there's no point waiting till it, they need someone before they start looking out, looking around and trying to hire people. Um, and I think right now I will just begin I will begin to wrap up by saying that it's 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 interesting being a second generation and working with second generation owner managers. It's it's the, the rates, the pace of development and technology has really changed. So a lot of the the um, experiences that we are having now, you know, we are having to make decisions and encounter challenges that we necessarily, our parents necessarily didn't encounter in their time, but with the right experience, with the right exposure, with the right networks, with communication, it's, it can be, those challenges can be mitigated and surpassed. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for that insight and for sharing with us. Um, I have my first question, which is centered around the, the second generation as we see it now in the world that we're seeing unfolding in front of us. All of the issues that you brought up are so necessary in terms of um, building up to empowering that next gen and uh, having that collaboration between the generations. What, what have you seen, especially in the conversation around philanthropy, are family businesses discussing philanthropic plans? Are they making philanthropic plans? Are they including them as part of their, their business planning or their discussions when it comes to, to um, business or family governance? And, is there ways that the second gen can contribute in a meaningful way that is going to bring them closer to the current gen? Thanks. That's actually a good, a good question. Coming out of the past 18 months with the pandemic and all, the importance of philanthropic giving or projects is even more relevant. So, Whilst some may have not traditionally considered it, some families or some family-run businesses have been ahead of the curve. Some have even, you know, incorporated foundations to help. But one thing that I would say is that the past 18 months has made it necessary and a lot more businesses are waking up and actually seeking out ways in which they can contribute or participate without necessarily starting from ground zero, but they're looking for partnerships in sort of philanthropic ventures. Um, we have recommended a few, um, even within the, and the country here that we, we leave and operate in. The um, private sector stood, you know, came up quite quite um, encouraging they yeah, led the the philanthropic um, projects with respect to providing you know food and whatnot during the lockdown 
Um, but more businesses are beginning to set up longer lasting so that it's not just a one-off when there's a need or when there's an event. But businesses and owners are beginning to set up and key into the well-established um, philanthropic avenues and ventures. Thank you for that, Buki. Um, throughout your um, presentation, you referred to social capital a number of times, and I wanted to really, um, really unpack that a little bit more on your thoughts on the importance of social capital, particularly for the next generation, and practical steps they can start to take um, to build upon their social capital. Okay. Yes, practical steps. I mean, it's it, it's it will sound. It, I think it would sound cliche, but it's all about networking. You know, net, I would tell people never underestimate the power of your network. Those you went to school with, those you meet in so in events. Um, you know, even by having conversations with someone, we could. We could be having a conversation about, I don't know, the, the weather and, oh, it would be a good idea. You know, I, social capital ideas develop and even business develops just by having conversations with people. It's, it's always interesting. And another thing I'd also have like to say is that it's also good to have a sense of curiosity because it's by asking questions and talking to people that, you know, ideas come up and you formulate it and, you know, many, I know many technology ventures or startups have come about with people asking or just trying to be curious to see, ooh, I wonder what would happen if, or why can't we send money from here to someone in, you know, another part of the world? And so I would say social capital, the, the practical steps is speak to people about anything and everything, try and be curious. There are many, there are many uh, sources of information now. We've got the tech, we've got the internet. It's very easy to Google anything. You know, look up words. Never be afraid to say, "I don't know." But also, while saying "I don't know," go look for it and find out. And what I find, at least, works for me is to know a little bit about. Not everything, but at least I know I could have a conversation about cryptocurrency. I might not be perfect. I might not be able to explain it, but I I will know. Um, um, I've also read something that I've, I'm learning about NFTs. Non, oh God, what's it? You know, I will try. Don't ask me for the definition now, and don't ask me <laughs> to do. But I do have an idea. So I, for me, those are the practical steps that work. And looking at um, African family businesses in particular, because we have got so much potential as businesses and as economies, yet we still have so many hurdles that we have to overcome from a historical perspective as well as personal perspective. How do you think African family businesses can start engaging in ESG in a holistic way, especially focusing on issues of governance, because we find that we operate sometimes in very difficult economic situations that are driven by governmental 
um, flaws? How can family businesses participate in encouraging the growth of our economies and ensuring that their businesses lean more towards encouraging ESG because it, it is better for, for our future, but also at the same time protecting themselves and their interests and their assets? Thank you, Sissi. Um, I would say, and um, not to knock anyone, but I, I find that most African, most Africans, myself included, sometimes we operate from a position of emotions and not facts. You know, there's, as I said, there's so much potential out there, but we, we, and I believe this generation. We're going beyond and we're breaking through the fear of what if, what if, and we're, oh, at least my the next generation, because I think I've been to all the generations sometimes, but um, we're testing the boundaries. We are operating based on facts and not on emotions. In terms of the governmental flaws, again, you know, this is where I said, challenges everyone some of these flaws are a lot of the flaws are being experienced by almost all parts of the industries and this is where collaboration comes in you know stakeholders chambers of commerce um industry groups you know even if it's uh even if it's someone who is i don't know who has a bread factory there there in their associations so I think, oh, I think for a lot of businesses, coming together and actually driving, having a say in policy formulation, in engaging government, asking for a seat at the table. Um, these days, for example, in Nigeria, the tax laws are now being, not just the tax laws, but the, a lot of the old tax acts are being refined yearly now and included every time they present the budget they present amendments to the tax act so I've been in collaborative discussions where you know I can have I I say my position say actually what we are experiencing what small businesses are experiencing is this is go back is is x y and z but I've made sure that you know I'm out there I'm looking for these uh in uh, government consultative forums, you know, I'm having a voice and tapping into my network so that any government policy, before it becomes a flaw, we, there's an association, there's a group of people, there's stakeholders who are saying, before you pass this, please stop and think of the impact because this is what the impact would be on X, Y, and Z businesses. Um, you said that here yeah, you asked also about how the African businesses can tap into ESG. This is something that I, I'm quite happy that almost um, all businesses now, or business owners now, are considering the impact of what they do on the environment. A lot of businesses now are considering, you know, even the smaller businesses, they're considering they're finally understanding that whatever they do now really could end up affecting, you know, climate change is, a, is an example. Or speaking to someone who, um, who has a business 
that involves a lot of plastics and recyclables. And he, his business now going to recycling because they've now, they're beginning to appreciate the impact of what they do on the environment, on the planet. It's, it's also, um, it's, it's encouraging. I think whilst, whilst the challenges are still there, whilst, you know, the government flaws are still there, people have a better appreciation now of how their, of how their, of how their lack, their silence, you know, may be detrimental and are actively going out there. It also helps that now we have all these groups. I mean, we have technology and WhatsApp, even though that comes with its challenges, but we've got social media. So if anyone is experiencing any issues, you know, with any government uh, agencies, they, they could they could ask and they, they, they almost immediately, especially on Twitter, get advice on how to act or what to do or what not to do. So I think with the, with the use of technology, with the use of uh, communication tools, African businesses are gradually, and I really hope, it, you know, the momentum keeps going are gradually coming out and, and scaling some of the challenges previously encountered. Thank you for sharing that, um, Vicky. Um, my last question is really just reflecting on the last 18 or so months with COVID-19 and um, wanted to know your thoughts on, firstly, what you're seeing in terms of how it's impacted on African family businesses and secondly, how they can forge forward in spite of it. Thank you. Um the past 18 months have have been actually whilst you know i think it's forced people to look at what they were doing and what more they could be doing the past 18 months have forced almost everyone business owners and individuals alike to look for alternative sources of income alternative uh, um, alternative tasks, alternative projects, even skills that a lot of people did not realize they had. They've all come out, of, you know, it's quite encouraging seeing even, you know, grandmothers having church on Zoom, you know, without necessarily, you know, still dressing up and sitting in front of the computer. But I think whilst the impact of the pandemic on the smaller businesses cannot be ignored. It's it's forcing everyone to review the strategic, you know, the strategic strategy documents that had been formulated previously and try and rework. And also it's also helped everyone, I think, be more nimble, be more flexible. So that I think. Thank you so much, Bucky, for joining us today and for opening up um, to our audience, sharing your experiences. Is there any final words you would like to share with our audience as we wrap up this session? Um, I would say that I think this is the time for everyone to try something new. It's for businesses, you know, to be less afraid 
you know, I've, I've tried that by being here on this podcast and speaking. I'm a naturally shy person, um, but it's, it's all part of breaking, doing more than we think we can, you know, just trying something new, reaching out there, spreading our wings, and that's it. And is there any way our audience can reach out to you or follow your work or anything that you're currently doing? Um, I am based in Lagos, Nigeria, and my best way to contact me is by email, and it's b it's bookyadewolu at gmail.com. I was going to give my... It's easier to remember bookyadewolu at gmail, B-U-K-K-Y. A-C-E-W-O-L-U. Len, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nikkei. Thank you.